Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hello, listeners. I've got an interesting show for you today. We're kind of going a little bit outside the box in our conversation, and I think it's going to be pretty cool. There's always with every interview, I hope some really good takeaways that um, can really empower you and affect the way that you operate on a day-to-day basis. And today is going to shed some light onto that. My guest is Michael Cohan, but he has another name. It's Makunda Chandra. Yes, he has two different names, and you'll find out at the beginning of the episode why that is. He is a certified health and lifestyle coach, and he has uh, some really cool accolades, like he's an 800-hour registered yoga teacher. He's had a very interesting spiritual journey, and in some ways, listening to it, I think that you will relate to how he determined what his path was going to be. Um, He works with others to help them restore balance in their lives by helping them to take, make healthier and more conscious lifestyle choices. What's cool though is about instead of just talking about you know becoming balanced, he calls it a balanced cooperation between mind, body and soul. And that is what he believes true harmony is. But how do we get there with all the chaos and all of the mumbo jumbo that happens in our day-to-day lives? Life gets tough, whether you are quote unquote successful or not, life just gets tough at times. It's just how it is. And um, with certain tools and techniques for maintaining that balance or that harmony, um, those tough times can, can be a lot easier. So this is really a show for those who have the open mind to explore what they could be doing differently. If you're somebody who's just like, I don't have the time, I don't have the time, then it might not be for you. So I'm warning you now. Um, but Michael, affectionately known as Makunda. His goal is to help clients and students discover the skills to help them move forward in all areas of their lives and really discovering what it is that is important to you. It's a pretty cool interview and I hope that you enjoy. Hello, Michael, and welcome to the show. And I'm calling you Michael now, but we may switch names um, to Makunda and our listeners are going to find out why, but thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks Summer. It's good to be here. I'm hoping I can add some value to your audience and have a little fun for the next 30 minutes, 45 minutes. So yes. Let's get started. Absolutely. Well, let's get started. I, I want to, you know, we, we spoke for a, a couple of minutes just before the interview. And my first question to you was, which name should I call you? So I, I would love, and I was so intrigued by that, that I've just got to like dive right into that and have you explain the the difference and the meanings in, in the names. Well, my I, I come from a uh, traditional uh, Orthodox yoga background from India. So I come from a tradition that is seeped in uh, ancient teachings and philosophy. And part of the teaching is when you're born into this material world, you are given three names. And the first name is your family name that only the people in your family call you, which I'm not going to say on this radio show. 
Then the second name is what's called your good name. This is the name that your family gives to you that you use as you're growing up, as you go through you know, childhood to adolescence, teenager, adulthood, the, your professional name, the name that you use in your job. Then at a certain point, when you develop a strong spiritual practice, you're giving a formal spiritual name when you get initiated into the tradition that I come from, and then you get a spiritual name, which is the name I was given Mukunda Chandradas by my guru, His Holiness Ranadas Swami. And that spiritual name represents the best version of yourself that your guru or teacher sees in you. And the reason why we have these different names in the tradition I come from is because they determine the different relationships you have. And, and so the name that you use determines the type of relationship you want with me. Just like you have many names. If you're a mom or dad, your kids call you mom or dad, but people at work don't call you mom or dad. They call you by your first name or your last name, depending on your level of authority relationship to that person, then your friends might have a nickname for you. And these different names determine different relationships. Okay. And and how do you how do you receive your name? Well, and it depends on the different tradition. And different traditions have different sort of rules to get a name in yoga, because I guess we're talking a little bit yoga here. It's a little it kind of gone out of style a little bit. But it was trendy for a while for people to kind of like come up with their own name that would be their yoga name. And it came that kind of like spawned from the tradition I come from where based on different lineages, you had different regulative principles that you would follow for a certain period of time. Then you would take formal initiation and take sacred vows of obtaining, uh, upstanding these sacred traditions. So in my tradition... You would study with your guru and a mentor for a set period of time, anywhere from one year to five years, based on your knowledge and lifestyle. And you would have to follow certain what we call regulative principles. You would have to maintain a vegan vegetarian diet. You would have to not gamble, not uh, partake in illicit sex. You would not uh, intake any oxid, uh, intoxicants. And you would have to chant a mantra for a prescribed um, number of times you chant this mantra each day. And you follow these principles for a certain period of time, typically one year to three years, and then study what's called Sastra, Bhagavad Gita, Yoga Sutras, and philosophy. And then after maintaining these practices for a set period of time, you take these vows in front of the assemble of yogis or devotees, saying that for the rest of your life, you will... You will do your best to follow these regulative principles, and you will You will then become formally initiated into the tradition, and then you get that spiritual name that I got was Mukunda Chandra, but other people get different names based on their personalities and characteristic traits. Okay. And is this, is this something that you said—so you said this is— um... I think I don't remember what you said at the beginning. Was this something that you were born into, or something that you chose to embrace? It was something I was I chose to embrace. When I was growing up, I grew up in a very traditional American Judeo-Christian family, and I kind of went to a point when I got into my mid twenties 
when I got to be a little bit more worldly around the world and seeing different religions. And my faith taught me that if you didn't believe in what I believed in, you were going to hell or you were going to purgatory. Yeah. And it kind of just didn't really sit well with me because I sat there. And I was like, well, the world's a really big place and not everybody's going to hear my tradition. So how can everybody, so what, 90% of the world is doomed except for my family and the people that are part of my community. <laughs> so it didn't really sit with me. So I kind of began to like kind of explore different faiths and different religions. And I came to the conclusion that we all come from the same source, but we all based on our karma, where we're born, our family background, we need to receive the teachings of divinity from different uh, viewpoints to give us that sort of rules and regulations to follow us so we can advance spiritually. And then I met my guru, and my guru was uh, a Hindu. He was a Hare Krishna. And if he was Jewish, I'd be a Jew. If he was a Catholic priest, I would be a Catholic priest. He was my guru. Yeah. It didn't matter what faith he was. And I chose the faith that he was in because he embodied what I believed a spiritual person should be. And so I wanted to be his formal disciple, his student. And so I chose his path. And, if, and so that's how I became a Hare Krishna and followed the principles of, you know, Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition. My, God, my girlfriend is not of the Hare Krishna lineage. She's of a different lineage within the yoga tradition of uh, Satchananda or integral yoga. So she has a spiritual name and she had to do different. She had to follow a different path to get her spiritual name. Wow. But we believe that, you know, many paths, one source. So it doesn't conflict with us. So that's why I end up coming a Hare Krishna, leaving my Judeo-Christian background. But as I have advanced my spiritual practice and I've matured in my security as a devotee of Krishna, I am able to then now go back to my Judeo-Christian roots in my secure faith and take t teachings from the Bible and the Torah and apply it to my spiritual practice. And how does your how has your family responded to this? <laughs> well, at first they thought I, I was love that laugh. laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember when I got initiated, and I was kind of like my mom really knew what I was doing. She was very supportive, but but my dad really didn't know really what I was doing because I came from this family background of you know you work hard, you get a corporate job, you climb up the corporate job bladder and that's how you become successful in life. And so I had a really good job in New York City. I worked in corporate. I had an office. I had an assistant. I was making really good money. And over the course of like eight years of practicing yoga and studying different philosophies, I started to get less interested in sort of the material pursuit and more into the spiritual pursuits of life. And so I left my corporate job, became a full-time yoga teacher which eventually led me to being a life coach. But during that journey, I began to sort of like shed a lot of my material desires. And my dad really didn't understand what I was doing. And he wasn't really supportive of it. And neither was my, my aunts and uncles and cousins. They all thought I was like joining some sort of cult. Yeah. And so I went to our ashram in Pennsylvania and I had a shaved head and I got initiated. And I came home and I went on Facebook and I updated my Facebook profile with my new initiated name, Bakuna Chandra Das, parentheses, Michael Cohan. 
and my family freaks out. My, <laughs> my uncle calls my dad and tells my dad that I joined a cult and that when he dies, all the money my dad's going to leave me, I'm going to donate back to my ashram. And so my dad calls me up one day and says, we need to talk. I'm like, okay. So I end up going to dinner with him on a Sunday night. Of all places, I go to Olive Garden because it's the only restaurant open in the area I'm living in. So I'm at Olive Garden. I'm eating a salad. And my dad's like, are you a Hare Krishna now? I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, okay, does this mean that when I leave my body, all the money that I donate, I give to you, are you going to donate to the temple? I'm like, no, why? Why, why would you ask me that? Of course not. I still... Uh, you know, I'm going to take that money and buy a house and, you know, support my family and, you know, like continue on in the family tradition. He's like, but I thought, cause you are a Hare Krishna, you have to give up all worldly possessions. <laughs> and I was like, dad, I am not a monk. I, I, <laughs> if I was a monk, yes, I am a householder. I am what's called a grihashta. I am not a celibate monk. I just am not a crazy materialistic sex addict trying to find material pleasure. I'm a spiritual being living a material life. I still have material needs. I still have a job. I'm a full-time yoga teacher. I'm in school, and I'm becoming a certified life coach using my college degree. I plan to open up a yoga studio one day. These are material pursuits. I'm going to buy a house one day. But I'm going to live within my material needs without becoming over-oriented like, in material consumption. I'm going to try to live a minimalist lifestyle within my boundaries of what, just what I need and nothing more. So, That's awesome. And the rest of my family freaked out a little bit. Because like, when I would go home and visit them... They'd be like, you're no fun anymore because I don't drink anymore because I took vows of non-intoxication. Yeah. So I'll ne I, I don't drink alcohol anymore. And I used to be the guy that, you know, played, you know, kings and flip cup at Thanksgiving with my family. And now I don't. And everybody, it took a while for them to kind of readjust to me. Right. And now they're good because now I'm the guy that gets up at nine o'clock in the morning, goes hiking with whoever's awake. And I'm the guy that goes to yoga class and everybody kind of wants to go to yoga now. And then at, like family vacations, everybody's like, can you teach yoga? Can you give us a free yoga class? So it's like, it's, it took a while for them to accept me. What did you decide at what point in the journey did you say, I want to help other people and, and become a health coach? You know, I think it was always in me. I think deep down inside, I think this is why I went and got an uh, undergraduate degree in psychology. Because I think my original my original goal was to become a therapist. And But I am a horrible test taker, and I am not the best rater. I'm dyslexic, and I have ADHD. And in order to, yeah, I mean, like, and I have, I have, like, I'm a little, I'm a little OCD, you know. So I'm dyslexic, I have a little OCD. And I have attention hyperactive disorder, and I'm in college, and I struggled my she undergrad. Loved school. I <laughs> loved college. I mean, I, I had a great time, but I was not the best student. Yeah. But I graduated with a psychology degree. I, I, I realized later in life I love to learn. I just hate traditional learning. So, like, I mean, like, I'm an online, online certification junkie. I'm on my. I'm going. I'm doing my. 
third life coaching certification right now. I just finished two. I'm doing a one in neurolinguistic pathways. I am an 800-hour certified yoga teacher with another 300 hours of specialization, and I'm planning my trainings for next year. I'd love to learn. I'm just not a traditional learner. So when I was in college, I struggled. So I couldn't get my master's in psychology, and I couldn't get my PhD in psychology. So I do what everybody else does with a college degree in psychology. You go get some random crappy job in corporate America. You work your butt off, and you climb up the corporate ladder. And at some point, I realized this wasn't for me. And I loved yoga. So I jumped ship and became a yoga teacher. And I kind of reclined that ladder. And I looked and I got to sort of like the top of that ladder. And I looked around. I was like, wow. So I really want to be here. I'm like, what do I like about yoga? I'm making five grand, six grand on a good month teaching yoga within the yoga industry. I'm really successful because most yoga teachers make no money. And I'm making six grand a month because I'm highly trained so I can do private. And I realized what I liked most about yoga wasn't teaching people the physical practice of yoga. It was teaching people how to transform their lives. It was teaching people to go from these negative lifestyles, always stuck in their routines and habits of samsara, rinse, lather, and repeat, never living the life that they wanted to live, always stuck in this pattern of I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not happy enough. And I was like, I like helping people realize their truer self, like who they really are, helping them find their purpose in life. And so I was like, well, how can I do that? And I was like, and I, and I started this to explore like how I can be a yoga teacher without teaching people physical yoga. And somebody said, well, why don't you become a health coach? And I was like, okay. So I went to this great school called Institute of Integrative Nutrition and got my health coaching certification, thinking I was going to become a health coach and a yoga teacher. During that training program, I realized what I liked most about the health coaching training program wasn't the nutritional aspect. It was actually the life coaching part of the program. And so that's the part I realized I liked. So then I went and got another training in life coaching and decided to launch that second career as a life coach. That's awesome. So... I'm curious because, you know, you have, you have your lifestyle. What are, what are some of the people, who are, what are some of the clients you work with and what do they have different spiritual and religious beliefs or do they tend to have the same as yours? I'm just wondering like, what the dynamic is. Well, I'm still trying to figure it out because at first I thought I was going to be a, a men's life coach. And I thought I was going to go market myself to men's life, uh, men's coach, like be a men's life coach and teach men how to be more spiritual and be more emotionally open. And every one of my clients is a woman. I kid you not. I, 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 I keep thinking I'm going to be like, you know, like this guy who teaches like men how to be like spiritual and healthy. And everybody I like work with is a woman. But the age is across the board. I, I, my youngest client is a 19-year-old college student, millennial, trying to get through college and doesn't really know what she wants to do with her life, to 20-somethings. Well, she's not really, is a 19-year-old person a millennial? I don't think so. They're in a different generation. We just haven't named it yet. Yeah, we haven't named it yet. I was trying to figure that out the other day. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a millennial anymore. I don't know what it is. To, I have one client who's uh, 58 years old and retired and trying to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. Like, he doesn't need money anymore. So I do have one male client. But most of my clients typically right now are women 
who are on the spiritual spectrum of they recognize that there's a spiritual component to life, but they're not happy with their current like vision of life. Either they're 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 overweight, typically a little financially struggling, or they don't like their job. And I kind of work with understanding their their NLP or neurolinguist their neurolinguistic pathways or their their subconscious thought patterns through either teach, through meditation and developing healthy lifestyle choices to shifting into their like human need psychology to then helping them set goals. And then along those avenues of trying to figure out maturely, we begin to, to kind of dissect the spiritual aspects of life. Yeah. Of like, like, who are you? Why do you believe the way you believe? What happened in your life and what points in your life were things imprinted that caused you not to live the life that you want? Right. You know, it's interesting because just in this conversation, I'm, I'm thinking about you know, a couple of things. I was thinking about, you know, the fact that you have more female clients and there tends to be, oh, I know a number of of men that are very, um, that pursue that learning of their spiritual side and really connecting with who they are and trying to find that harmony and balance. It seems to be more women. Um, I wonder what what that resistance is. And what's interesting, though, is that those that do practice some sort of whatever it is, like you said, meditation, yoga, the real, to me, the real gift is that we all kind of have the answers and all of that that we're searching for within us, but we're it's just so noisy in our brains with the, with the stress and the things that happen in day-to-day life, whether you're running a business, trying to find a career, um, and to me, you have kids, all that kind of stuff. There's so much noise that's going on that it seems the importance becomes more on the quick fix, if you will, to to kind of to um, pseudo quiet your mind, not really quiet your mind, just distracted, I guess. And it's interesting. You can, you can tell the difference when you've had you know true quiet in your brain. I I, I meditate so. I know that the answers or the things that you're searching for come to you, and it's actually pretty easy. And you go, oh, wow, that's, that's so easy. This is what I need to be doing. Whereas when you're so cluttered and so stressed and, you know, most of the day you're like flipping and falling all over yourself or you accidentally leave your car, you know, all those little things go wrong. Because you're just kind of like in chaos. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, my, my, mo- my, my martial arts teacher always says it's the best. And I, and I translate it to life. My martial arts teacher always says, how you, break, how you begin your form is as important as how you end the form. In the middle is this the operation. Yeah. And so I translate that to how you begin your day is as important as how you end the day. So if you don't have a morning ritual routine in the morning that centers your mind and your body, soul and you don't have a bedtime routine that doesn't center your mind body soul then your day will be chaotic but the original question you asked me was why are more women more focused on spirituality mindfulness healthy living versus men part of it is i think over the last 20 years with the the like mindful and 
yoga and spirituality industry, not religion, but industry, was marketed more towards women. Yeah. And I think that played a part, a large part of it. And when you look at like, if you, and, and, you know, this is something that I'm really interested and curious about. And like my next project, once I finish up the project I'm working on, I do want to launch my own podcast that does focus on this subject matter that if you, when you look at, you know, any sort of fitness magazine, when you look at yoga journal or you look at mind, body, green you look at magazines and blogs like that, they're so female-oriented. As a man, when you look at them, it's uncomfortable. It's like sometimes I just want to vomit. I'm just like, like, great, I'm not a woman. How is this going to relate to me? And, and the whole industry just markets to the aspects of the divine God. There's nothing wrong with it. And I think there was a point where women in general needed to go through that evolutionary revolution of female empowerment and yoga allowed female empowerment of the divine goddess. I think that there is the reason why we have, besides that we're in the age of Kali Yuga, that there's so much chaos and discord and distrust and disharmony in this world is there's not enough divine goddess energy. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about enough there's not enough women in leadership. I'm talking about there's not enough divine goddess energy. That even when you look at women in leadership roles, they feel the need to become men. And that puts off balance. We need more divine goddess leaders, both in government and corporation. That being said, because there was such a need for that divine goddess evolution, the divine masculine energy was not going through its evolutionary stage. And it's still just focused on just like physical appearance, lifting weights, how to achieve maximum performance in your, your, you know, your workouts, not how can I work out to open up who I really am as a person. Yeah. And so the market, the industry and the leaders in the field of health and wellness did not go through a divine masculine evolution yet. We're starting it. People like myself, people like Lewis Howes and, you know, the, you know, the Ask Men podcast, like all these guys, you know, we're talking about it now of like, great, we're physically fit, but how can we be spiritually fit also? How can we be a socially conscious man and be a protector and a provider without losing our masculine energy, but also being touched with our emotions? Yes. And we have the, this image of the alpha male as this guy who's closed off emotionally, who, you know, like, you know, like the John Wayne image. And we have not gone, gone through that, uh, that revolution yet. And we're just starting our own revolution of the social and spiritually conscious man that doesn't come a woman. It still stays a man. Right. Right. You know, like the Rob Bells and the Lewis Howe, those guys. Tony Robbins, like he's like a spiritually and emotionally evolved man. You can look at Tony and he can connect to anybody because he's in touch with his divine masculine energy, not from a macho standpoint. And so we're, that's why we are not oriented to that yet. Plus, we're not, the industry isn't marketed to that. So we don't see it. We only see like the how to get the six-pack abs. And how to crush your workout, and how to how to punch like a man, like, and 
you know, that's great. But, you know, like, let's get into the divine, let's get into the divine masculine energy also. I think I, that was so, I love, I love that you addressed all of that because I that a lot there's, um, with, with what you were saying before. because you have all these really successful women that are like, you know, and I have friends that are like, and I'm like, how are you not in a really, how, why aren't you married? They're like, I can't find a guy. And it's like, and I go, well, I mean, like, you're my bud. You're not my, you're not a woman. You're my bud. That's, I'm, I don't even want to go out with you. And I see how amazing you are because you felt that need to climb up the, like the ladder of success by, and get rid of your feminine energy and some of the best women out there that are like thought leaders are still women. Right. And they're sensual and, and they're sexy, but yet still powerful. You know, being a, being a divine goddess does not mean someone's going to push you over. I mean, like, you can still be a tiger in the jungle and still provide and protect and nurture without being, you know, like, I mean, you could still be a huntress and still be a divine goddess. Exactly. I like that. This, um, it's a balance that I read. I like it because I think like, you know so many people are like, can you really have a balance in your life, um, or is it more that you can have harmony? Because things tend to get unbalanced in terms of where your emotion needs to go. And you call it um, you help people actually develop a balance operation between mind, body, and soul. And I know that that's a lot of what you do with your clients is teaching them the tools and the things that they can do on a daily basis to maintain that. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that looks like. I'm sure it's different for different people and what it is that you need, but maybe you know, what does that look like for you? What is your morning and night routine that, that creates that balanced cooperation between well, do you want my routine or do you want what I believe? Let's do both. All right. So my routine and my and my girlfriend kind of is like son kind of makes fun of me because I'm very regimented in what I do because I always kind of have to remind myself if I'm not hustling and I'm not working hard and I'm not doing the things I need to do, somebody else is. And so I have to remember that every day. And there's days where I don't feel like doing it. But for me to be fine, I, there, I don't believe in work-life spiritual balance. There's this, it's just like, because it's like if you try to please everybody, you please no one. And if you try to please every part of your life, you're never going to get anything done. And so what I try to teach my clients is work-life spiritual integration. That... You, as a person, don't wear different hats with who you 
are in life. That who you are at work is who you are at home and is who you are in your spiritual community. That you're, you live your truth in everything that you do. So that's the first thing that I do. So like who I am right now with you on this podcast, I don't change who I am when I go to my yoga studio and I don't change who I am when I do coaching clients and I don't change who I am when I go spend time with my friends and family. I'm just me. And that takes a long time to learn how to do. So that's the first thing I do and that's the first thing I teach people to do is to quit separating their lives. Be who you are in all endeavors. Now, that, that might mean that you have to change your job, or that might mean that you have to change your religious community, or that might mean you have to change your, your, uh, your, your, your social life. But when you separate these things, then you're, in, you're out of balance. Because the whole purpose of life is to have mind-body-soul connection, that you're supposed to be aware of who you are materially and who you are spiritually all at the same time. Right. Now, how I do that and how it works for me is I make sure before I go to work, before I even teach a yoga class or before I pick up the phone and Skype a coaching client or get on a podcast like you before 9 a.m. So if I have to start my day work-wise at 9 a.m., that means I am up at 6 a.m. and I am studying and then I am meditating and then I am doing my prayers and then I'm reviewing my mission statement, I am doing my affirmations, I'm reviewing my goals, I am doing my Tai Chi, my yoga, my martial arts practice, and I am taking time to connect my girlfriend before I do anything else. So I do that every morning. And it takes me about an hour to two hours, depending on my time. So I have an hour version and I have a two-hour version of taking care of myself both mentally, spiritually, and physically before I even do anything else. Okay. Then at the end of the day, when I'm done with work, I turn off my cell phone. I get, turn off the Wi-Fi. I reconnect back to my girlfriend. I check in with her to make sure how her day is. She checks in with how my day is. I meditate. I do my evening prayers. And then I read and I allow myself an hour of television at the end of the day to relax. And then I go to bed. And then on the weekends, which my weekends are Friday and Saturday, I make sure that I schedule myself, like I schedule my work to do the things I need to be spiritually aligned that are in good that I need for me. So I need to go to my martial arts class on Saturday. I need to go hiking at least once a month the woods. I need to go to my temple at least twice a month. I need to do one romantic act for my girlfriend. So I have like a list of four romantic acts that I do for my girlfriend every month that I make sure I do. And I just keep track of everything. And the reason why you do this is because if you don't keep track of everything, then life just takes over. And then you're just running all over the place. And so then what I do is I basically teach people through a series of exercises how they can begin to map out what's important in their life and then begin to schedule those important things and then everything else gets filled in. And who was the great guy who taught that originally? I want to say Steve Covey. I think it was called the compass originally, yeah. like the seven, your seven compasses. I just basically teach that ultimately is the seven compasses. 
And then that's how I have this cooperation between mind, body, and soul. Okay. And I, I think I went that. on a big tangent there. No, I love it. And you're totally speaking my language because I, I completely agree. So I have one question for you. Is now people obviously you know because they are seeking this, they are seeking this, this help. How do you, if you've ever seen if there's someone close, if it's someone who works with, if it's a spouse, if it's a friend, if it's someone in the family, that you see is operating on that activity, that, that chaos? It's like you know they they they're always in that like mode. Everything's just kind of like whatever you know fire comes up, then they'll put their attention there. And it's just it's kind of chaotic, and there's no like you said, doing those things that are important or organizing the day or really setting themselves up so that they're in that mindset to accomplish the things they want to accomplish. How do you exceed that person or how do you sell to them um, this, this kind of this process and, and a routine and falling in love with the idea that, oh, if I do these things, I'll be in a better place to accomplish all these things I'm running around I think most people that that's how they live. They just live on autopilot because whenever I talk to a friend, I'm always just, and like I mean like I'm 41 years old and I don't feel like I look 41, and I feel like a pretty young guy. And I see my friends and they're all they look so much older than me, and they're all kind of slightly out of shape, and they all kind of are struggling financially. And you know I sit there I'm like. Why aren't you exercising? And the response is, I don't have the time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always like, what do you mean you don't have the time? I don't have the time. I'm like, I guarantee you have the time to go work out three days a week for an hour. No, I can't. I don't have the time. And so what I so I, I just so what I do with my friends, is I make a bet with them, I, and I basically say, I challenge you to, um, what you call, I challenge you to sit with me and write out your schedule on a calendar and see what you do for a week. Like, literally map it out. And I guarantee you I can find time in your day for you to read a book or listen to an audio book or a podcast, get to the gym three days a week, and make time for your, your loved ones, your, your wife or your husband. Right. And basically they don't believe me. And what because people, what they'll do is they look at, they'll, they'll schedule your, their job at work and they'll schedule their appointments for their career, but they don't schedule their life. Yeah. And so what I teach people, this is one of the things I really am good at teaching people is I teach people how to schedule their life. But then what you get is you get pushback where people are like, well, don't you want to be spontaneous? I'm like, yeah, schedule spontaneity. I have Saturday <laughs> afternoon. That's so me. I always say that. I love spontaneity. Schedule organized. <laughs> right. Like, schedule your spontaneities. Like, make a list of the things you want to get accomplished. And then look at your schedule and begin to map out the time to get it done. And then once a week, take the time to review whether you got it done. And so what you do is, you know, and so what I do is I, I love using technology. So I use Evernote. I use a task management software. And I use a Google Calendar. And I basically sync all three platforms. Together, where Evernote 
is mapped out of your monthly goals and your month and your projects and your task list links to Evernote that feeds into the task list where you can schedule the day and the time to get it done that then feeds into your calendar and gets scheduled automatically. So then all you have to do is review your Evernote and take about five minutes, 10 minutes every week to make sure it's syncing up to your task list to then go into your calendar and then it's scheduled on your calendar. And then when it says one o'clock, go to laundry, you do your laundry and then you just cross it off. Right. And then you move on, you know, buy flowers for your partner and you, it pops up into your counter, go to the store and buy flowers and it's scheduled. So you get it done because if you don't schedule it, it's never going to happen. Yeah. At least that's on my mind. No, it's so true. And people, you know, it's like, oh, I'd love to get my office organized. I'd love to, I'd love to do that. It's like, I'm I'm just saying, it's in my calendar. It's going to happen. A lot of times people get so overwhelmed and they offer their help to somebody and somebody picks them up on it and then they don't end up doing it. Not because they don't care, but because they don't schedule and because they've got so many other things going on. So I'm so important to that. I love that we're totally stuck in lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, like one of the things that my girlfriend and I have been talking about lately is the practice of what's called astaya and staya. It's one it's in the yoga sutras. It's one of the five yamas, and it basically means stealing or non-stealing. Mm-hmm. And so, like one of the, so what we, my girlfriend and I, really try to think about now is: Are we stealing time, or are we allowing time to steal from us? Right. And so, so every action that we do, and everything that we kind of schedule, and is is this something that is going to add value to our lives? Or are we allowing this to be taken from us? Meaning, if I'm going to do, go and spend time helping someone or running an errand or watching television, is that taking away from something I want to accomplish? Like, my girlfriend is, is, is building a non-for-profit called Ashrams for Autism, where they're specializing teaching yoga and going into like special needs pro- programs and teaching yoga to people with special needs that are on the spectrum. So she's trying to build a not-for-profit business and I'm building an online coaching business. And so we always kind of think, sit there and whenever somebody wants to do something with us or we have to take care of a chore, we have to go, is this stealing or is this adding? And if it's stealing, we say no. And that doesn't mean we don't watch TV. Because that's not stealing. That's time to relax. We all need to shut down. But we sit there and we say, okay, it's Wednesday at 7 o'clock at night. Am I stealing time or am I, allow- or am I adding value? And if it's stealing, we don't do it. And that's kind of like one of the things that we do now. So we, practice, so we do practice non-stealing. It's like sort of our motto th- these days. And the other one is swaha. So offered, show sale, shall it be? So like we basically... We'll also say, okay, we can't do that. It's offered. Move on. And then we don't dwell on it anymore. Yeah. So many great things. So many great things. And, and I, I love it because you're you're kind of, you know, up what I already believe in. But I know there's some other people that are just like, ah, but I'm too busy for that stuff. Well, you obviously are too busy. <laughs> but there's things you can do too to actually control it and not feel so chaotic. I love everything that you that you are doing. I appreciate you 
talking to me today. This is awesome. Where can I send our listeners to find out more information on, on you? Just go to my website, yourwellnessyogi.com. That's the easiest place to go. They go there. They'll get an offer for free. They can take a free like life assessment quiz. It costs nothing. And, you know, as a, a life coach and uh, one of my mentors always said, always offer your services for free as a way to pay it forward. Because when I was going through this, uh, my period of struggle, I had some big mentors. Like, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name drop them, but I, they were a big deal where they would charge like five, six hundred dollars for counseling services, and they would just give me free like services because I was just like in the yoga community, and so. They always said, if I'm going to do this for you, you have to pay it forward by offering free services. So if anybody goes to my website and they want to take a life assessment quiz and they take it, they can always book two free like coaching sessions with me and I will work through looking at their life and helping them make choices. Because if you say you are too busy to go to exercise and if you're too busy to take a course to grow and if you're too busy to connect to your loved ones, something wrong yes. <laughs> and, and there, there, it's not you there's there's something wrong with your choices because that's just not true so either you don't have a job that supports your life or you're in a financial situation that's a problematic or you have a relationship that's not healthy or you don't care about your own self and there's something wrong and it, there and it, believe it or not 90 percent of the people that have that i'm too busy life it's an easy fix Absolutely, I agree. That I can't help is you need a therapist, and that's <laughs> and, and and I'll help you find a therapist. Like there are plenty of therapy, great therapists out there. It's just that you're beyond my scope of work. Right, right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That is awesome. And uh, my wellness yoga is that what it was? Your, your wellness. Your so wellness. Somebody, somebody, somebody had my wellness yoga. Okay. Before. I don't know if the website's up, but they own their domain. So I'm yourwellnessyogi.com. Yourwellnessyogi.com. And if they go there, they can, they can check me out. And then, you know, there's like a little pop-up that says, take your free life assessment quiz. And they can click on that. And then they take a free life assessment quiz. And then if they want, they can book two free coaching calls with me. And I usually charge like anywhere from $150 to $250 an hour. So, you know, that's like, you know... A, almost a $500 value. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, man. Hey, Summer, by the way, you have a really nice, like, energy about you. I'm looking at your Skype photo, and I'm just like, wow, this person radiates love and beauty. Well, that's how my whole day is made. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com. On Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests.